Hello, my friends. This is Christopher Alam at home in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I trust you and your household are doing well and are blessed. We are on the subject of the call of God. And uh, yesterday we were talking about, you know, we were talking about the kind of people that God uses, that God uses people who are nothing and brings them into his kingdom and he anoints them and he appoints them and he uses them. And the reason he uses people who are nothing, people who are nobodies, is so that nobody can boast, has any reason to boast. But we all know that whatever good is in our ministry is because of Jesus and him alone. And the most foolish thing for us would be to think that we are uh, special in ourselves in any way. And I think that's a great pitfall because that's where a lot of people fail and, and, and make a mistake. Uh, success gets into their heads and soon they forget that it is because of Jesus and it is not because of them and that God uses us not because of who we are, but he uses us in spite of who we are. And he uses us because of his mercy, because of his goodness. And what a privilege it is to be used by the Lord. Hallelujah. That's why it is very, very important that we always turn around and give glory to the Lord Jesus. Uh, we should remember that every time God uses us to touch somebody's life, every time there's a salvation or there's a miracle or, or, or in, in, in any way, if, if, if we see that God does something significant through our lives, it is so important to stop and remember that it is because of Jesus and, and always give him the glory, honor, and the praise. And the only thing that we should keep for ourselves is his wonderful love for us, is this wonderful salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and his hand and his mercy upon our lives. That's the only thing that we should hold on to. But everything else we turn around and we give all the glory and the honor and the praises to our Lord Jesus because he alone is worthy. But uh, if we are not careful to to watch this, then what happens when God begins to use us and and success, what we call success is it can get into our head. And, uh, uh, you know, popularity in the ministry, if we preach well and people, uh, people are touched by our lives and people think we are good speakers, it's easy to get popular in the ministry, popular in the eyes of man. And uh, people, you know, it's, it's the nature of the flesh. Uh, that 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 people look at certain ministers and they uh, you know they look at their uh, their personality and and how they dress and how they how how they how they carry themselves you know these outward things not not the things of the spirit but the things of the flesh these outward things and people want to imitate those things and people make uh, idols and heroes out of men and women not because of who they are in God but because. Uh, of these outward fleshly things. And that is a very dangerous place if we as ministers of God begin to succumb to that, begin to uh, think that uh, there is something special about us uh, and that we are, we are better than others who, who don't, uh, uh, you know, for, for, for example, let, let me give an example. Uh, one of the greatest pitfalls uh, in in the world, I mean, in the world in general, uh, Christians, non-Christians, is 
is the love of money. And so what happens is that, uh, you know, when God uses us, people begin to give us things. They begin to give us money. And it is so important, so easy to get attached to those things. But it's so important that we always remember if anyone ever gave me anything, it is because of what God has done. And we should give all the glory to the Lord alone and not let any of these things stick to us but we should pass the blessings on to others. So we, you know, we, we, we have to uh, uh, have certain boundaries and certain principles in our lives uh, that, we, that we live by because pride always goes before a fall. The Bible says that God gives grace to the humble, but he despises the proud. And in the Swedish Bible, it says God gives grace to the humble, but he resists, he stands against the proud. And we don't want to stand on the opposite side of the fence when it comes to God. We want to be on the same side. So God gives grace. Uh, grace is God's unmerited favor. But, uh, and, and we know grace is unconditional, but there's only one condition. There is a condition. And that condition is that God gives grace to the humble. So it's important that we stay humble. And we remember that pride always goes before a fall. So we, uh, and, and humility before God is to acknowledge the giftings and the callings of God upon our lives and the many wonderful way the Lord uses us to touch other people. But humility is to acknowledge that and at the same time acknowledge that these are only because of Jesus and not because of us. And just because God uses us more than somebody else in certain areas, it doesn't mean that we are better than those people, but God uses us because of his favor his choice. It is his choice. I travel all around the world, preach all over the world. I see about a million people come to the Lord every year. We've seen dead people raised up many mighty miracles. But I know other friends of mine who are great, wonderful men of God, who don't get to travel as much as I do, who don't see the crowds, the miracles that I do. But I'm not better than them. I am what I am because it pleased God. I often think and I ask the Lord, God, why did you choose me for this? I don't have an answer. All I can say, it pleases God. But, but the other brother, you know, or my friends, my brothers who don't get to travel, don't get to see the things that I do. They are also, they, I mean, they are great men of God and God has his hand upon them. And some of them, I wish I could be like them in their walk with God. And we should always keep that uh, in perspective and remember that. Amen. So God uses those who are nothing in this world. And I thank God that I'm one of those who am nothing in this world. And I'm used by God. And glory be to Jesus for all things. Amen. Now, I'm going to go and talk about, in this context, how God uses people who are nothing. And these, these are the words of the Apostle Paul. He said in, you know, that God uses people who are nothing. But let's look at Paul's own life and calling in Philippians 3, verses 14 to 15. And here I will show you that if you look at the first few verses, you will realize that Paul wasn't really a nothing. He was something. He was somebody. But... Yeah, so he came to, with, with certain advantages, but it's, it seems to me that Paul was very aware of the fact that 
he came into the kingdom of God with these advantages, with this pedigree, with this theological education, but all that had to be brought down to nothing. In fact, Paul had to come to the realization that those things that he counted as being worth something, that people looked at as being worth something, they, in his eyes, had to be brought down to nothing so that God could use him. So, uh, you know, the grace of God is a great leveler. What it says that, you know, um, uh, about Jesus, he says, every valley shall be brought up, every mountain shall be brought down, and the glory of God shall be seen there. So, they, you know, it is, it is a leveler. So those who are nobodies, nothing, suddenly they rise up and they're used by God. And those who are something, who think they're something, they're amazing, they are brought down. And... Uh, and, and, and that the things in their lives that they counted to be significant suddenly uh, are seen as not being significant at all. And the only significant thing is to get to know Jesus. Hallelujah. So this is what Paul writes. And I'm reading from verse in chapter three, verses 14 to 15. And he says, though for myself, I have at least grounds to rely on the flesh. He says, I have some grounds to rely on the flesh. If any other man considers that he has or seems to have reasons to rely on the flesh and as physical and outward advantages, I have still more. He says, I, I have grounds to rely on the flesh. And if people think they have advantage, I have even more. Then he says, then he writes about his advantages, the things that made him unique, that gave him a, a good start, a head start above everybody else. So in verse 5. He says, circumcised when I was eight years old of the race of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew and the son of Hebrews. As to the observance of the law, I was of the party of the Pharisees. He says, as, as to my zeal, I was a persecutor of the church and by the law's standard of righteousness, supposed justice, uprightness, and right standing with God, I was proven to be blameless and no fault was found with me. But whatever former things uh, I had that might have been gains to me, I have come to consider as one combined loss for the sake of Christ's sake. So he's talking about his pedigree, his education, his race, and who he was, and all that, his background, his uprightness, and all those things. But he says, but all those things that I thought were an advantage for me, as gain for me, I have come to consider as being nothing for Christ's sake. Then it says, verse 8, then he, he writes about how he actually views these so-called advantages. Yes, furthermore, I count everything as loss compared to the possession of the priceless privilege, the overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth, the supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and of progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, of perceiving and recognizing and understanding him more fully and clearly. And he says, I have all these things that were an advantage to me. I count them as loss compared to the priceless privilege of knowing Jesus Christ and knowing him better and better, being more intimately acquainted with him. For his sake, I have lost everything and consider it all to be mere rubbish, refuse, dregs in order that I might win Christ. So he says, 
to compare to because I may win Christ, I have lost everything. All these things that meant to me, they mean absolutely nothing to you. You see, beloved, that is the place you must come to, you and I must come to, especially if you're somebody in the world. You know, I'm pretty, I see in America, sometimes you see some famous music star, singer, famous in the world, some or some sports star, and and they, they we hear they get saved. And the next thing you know, they're on the platforms, they're on the big, uh, big uh, uh, pulpits, big platforms in big churches. They're asked to, they don't know the word. They don't have a prayer life. They're basically new. They're novices in the word. And the Bible says that we should never elevate a novice. It's dangerous for them. So I have seen they've done that football players and, and you know, famous athletes and famous uh, artists, you know, singers and uh, show business personalities. And we hear that they got saved. The next thing you know, they're up there preaching and they're, you know, all that and they get elevated. And people like that don't last long. They don't last long. They last a couple of years and then you don't hear from them anymore. That is the worst disservice we can do to those people, to those people because the only thing that they have going for them that gives them that platform, gives them the pulpit is their celebrity status because of what they have achieved in the world. But such people, you know, even if God does have a plan and a purpose for them, if God does want to use them, they first have to come to that place in their life when they actually begin to see that whatever they have achieved, whatever they have, uh, you know, advantage they have, whatever things they have achieved in life, accomplished in life, uh, and their wealth and celebrity, all that is rubbish compared to the priceless privilege of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. They must come to that realization. And that takes a deep work of God in the heart to realize. And only then can God use them. Only then, if you think that they're going to leverage their celebrity status and preach the gospel and God is going to use them, listen, it does not work. It is not biblical. It is not supposed to work that way. They must come to that place, have an insight, a revelation that somehow that everything that I am because of the world is absolutely nothing to me then, and that I am willing to give up everything so that I may win Christ and be found in him because he is the most precious treasure of all. Only when a man comes to realize this, only then can God begin to use him. And I wish, I wish people in America would learn this. This is how it works. And so it says, this is the Apostle Paul. He said, verse 8, Yes, furthermore, I count everything as loss compared to the possession of the priceless privilege, the overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And I'm reading from the, uh, from the Amplified. That's why these verses are long, but it gives us deep of the meaning. He says, I count everything as loss compared to the possession of the priceless privilege of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and of progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, of perceiving and recognizing and understanding him more fully and clearly. For his sake, I have lost everything and consider all to be mere rubbish, refuse, dregs, in order that I may win, gain Christ. 
and that I may actually be found and known in him, not having any self-achieved righteousness that can be called my own based on my obedience to the law's command. That means that he's actually talking about his pride in, in being able to keep the law because he was proud of it. That's what he's talking about. He's not just bashing legalism, but he, he Paul actually was one of those people who kept the law and he did quite well. He may not be, have been perfect, but he did quite well. So he says, that I want, he says, you know what? He says, I want to be found in Christ. I want my life to be seen in Christ instead of, instead of my own goodness, instead of people looking at me, of my uh, being able to keep the law and my being able to be something because of my achievement. I want to be found in Christ. He says, and he says, um, um, but possessing that genuine righteousness. He said, "Not I don't want my own righteousness, my own goodness, my own achievements, but I want that genuine righteousness, which comes through faith in Jesus, which comes from God by saving faith. He says that all these things, all these things that were a plus for me, suddenly they are a minus and I want to get rid of them that I may win Christ and be found in him. And uh, I want that right standing with God. And that is what I want. Let me, uh, let, let me tell you a little testimony, a little story. You know, I came from a very wealthy and privileged uh, family background in Pakistan. And we were Muslims. And growing up as Muslims, uh, uh, I was always told that Christians were unclean. Um, Christians were unclean. In fact, Christians were not even allowed to touch our, our cups and glasses. They were not allowed to touch our cups and glasses. And they were not allowed to, um, you know, eat out of our plates and we were not allowed to touch them because they were unclean. So, uh, so because of that, you know, I, I lived, I was from an upper class family and these Christians were not only low class, but they were the lowest of the low. I had never had an interaction with them. I never remember asking one of these Christians, uh, uh, you know, about their family, about their lives. So it's like we lived in the same society, but because they were unclean, I had nothing to do with them. And I remember when I got saved, when I became a Christian, suddenly everybody, including my family, my family, we are direct descendants of the Prophet Muhammad. We, everybody was shocked that I had become a Christian because I suddenly identified myself with these unclean people. And I remember that I began to go to the homes of the unclean, to these so-called unclean people, the Christians, and they were very, very poor. And, and you know, uh, I remember I ate out of their dishes. I drank out of their glasses. I ate their food, sat with them, talked to them. And I mean, these are things that were unthinkable. But then I realized, I began to see that they had a richness that I had never known. They knew Jesus, these people who I got to meet, especially those Pentecostals, you know, they knew Jesus. I mean, they, in spite of their poverty, in spite of the way they were treated, they were looked on upon, they had a treasure that I didn't know even existed. And I thought, I want this. I want this, uh, this 
this uh, fellowship that I mean I was saved but they had this fellowship with Jesus they had this boldness in prayer they used to pray as if they are talking to somebody who was in the room with them instead of the way I had been brought up as a Muslim praying to a God who's millions of miles away who doesn't even answer because that's what Islam teaches that God is silent for 1400 years so suddenly these people they could talk to God and they could hear from God as if it was in the same room and they had a and the and the the light of that communion that fellowship they had with Jesus shone in their faces and in their demeanor and and in the way they conducted themselves and and I was so taken and not only it was suddenly more than just that I was saved and my sins are forgiven, but I want this kind of life, the kind of life they have, the kind of face-to-face uh, -face communion with God and, and, and how they walk with God, how they talk to God like a father, like a friend who's there in the room with them. I want that. So I understood that, that everything that was an advantage to me was like rubbish. I would sacrifice everything I had, all the privileges of my life to have this wonderful communion with Jesus. So that's what, that's what he's talking about. And he says, um, he says, verse 10, for my determined purposes that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately, intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly that I may in some way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection and that I may so share his sufferings as to be continually transformed in spirit into his likeness, even to his death. So what he said, that I may know Jesus and he says, I count all things as garbage, all things as trash, everything. So in other words, Paul, from being in the pinnacle of something, was brought down because he suddenly realized that everything he had was actually nothing worth at all. And the only true treasure worth having was Jesus Christ. So that, that, that's what causes people to walk away from privilege, from positions and follow Jesus. Like my friend Mats Jakobson in Sweden, I remember he was a professional ice hockey player. He would have played, you know, in the Swedish team and he was, a, you know, good. And then, I mean, he was doing well, And but he had never been to church, knew nothing about Jesus. And one day he was in, I think he was in Grenoble, France. Uh, he was playing some professional uh, ice hockey team in Switzerland. So he was in Grenoble, France and he was walking down the street and he saw a church and he had never been to something. He said, he told me something happened to me. I just walked inside the church. He said, when I walked in, there was this beautiful organ music playing and people were singing. He said, I just fell on the ground and began to weep. I just began to weep. I, I don't know why I wept, I wept. And he says, suddenly this conviction came over me and uh, I gave my life to Jesus and I came out, I was a new person. If I, this, this story is this more than 35 years old, but he said, I, and you know, and then he left everything. He left his professional ice hockey 
career because he was captivated by Jesus. And he went to my friend's Bible school in France and then he became a missionary. He left everything, left his whole life before. People thought he was nuts, he was crazy. But he went as a missionary preaching the gospel and God used him in a mighty way. I haven't seen him for many years. I don't know where he's today, but God used him in a mighty, mighty way. And that's why you see some people, you see they have everything going for them. And the next thing you know, they left everything to follow Jesus. And you wonder why? Well, it's because of that. They get caught up by Jesus. So this is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, he said that I may know him and I may know the the power of his resurrection, the same power that raised him from the dead, that I may know that power and that I may share the fellowship of his sufferings. He said, even entering into the sufferings of Christ, I may, I'm willing to do even that if that is what it takes for me to attain that same resurrection. And he says that if possible, I may attain the resurrection out from among the dead. He says, then he says, he says, that's the price I'm willing to pay. I'm willing to leave everything and so that I may know him and I may know the power of his resurrection and I'm done fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. If that is the price I have to pay to attain that resurrection. He says, then he says, this is how he looks at his life. life. Not that I have now attained this ideal or have already been made perfect, but I press on to lay hold of and make my own that for which Christ Jesus, the Messiah has laid hold of me and made his own. He says that Jesus Christ found me and he has laid hold on me with a purpose. He says, wherever I was, whatever I was doing, Jesus reached down and took a hold of me. And he, he with a purpose, he says, I want to take a hold of that purpose. You see, in other words, he knew that God has taken a hold of him. His life has taken a radical change. He was doing this and now everything just gone. And all those things that were something to him doesn't mean anything at all. The only thing that means to him is to know Jesus and, and to know the power of his resurrection, even willing to die a death like he died so that I may rise together with him. And that he says, but I have not attained it at all. This is the apostle Paul writing after he had been uh, all over the place, planted churches, see dead people raised up, but he still did not feel that he had attained it. He said, all I know is that God had taken a hold of me for a purpose and made me his own. And I want to take a hold of that purpose for which he took on me. In other words, um, uh, you know, one day I, I was looking through handwritten notes by uh, Smith Wigglesworth, his sermons, and there was one, uh, I just read the title and boom, it hit me on the face. And that's what I'm talking about. He says, to to apprehend because I am apprehended. I want to take a hold off because he has taken hold of me. I want to apprehend because I have been apprehended. In other words, I know this much that Christ Jesus has taken a hold of me with a purpose. And now I want to take a hold of him and take a hold of that purpose for which he has taken hold of me. Then he says, I do not consider, brothers, that I have captured and made it my own as yet. He said, I don't consider myself that I have found it as yet. But this one thing I do, it is my one aspiration. Forgetting what lies behind me 
and straining towards what lies what lies ahead. It means that I forget what is behind me, and I strain towards what is ahead because his sole purpose in life began became this to take a hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. I have been apprehended. Why? So that I may apprehend that for which I have been apprehended. That is my sole purpose. So that is why I forget what is behind. He says, this is what I do. I press forward for that. And he says, I press on towards the goal to win the supreme and heavenly prize to which God in Christ Jesus is calling us upward. He says, I press on towards that goal to take a hold of that supreme and eternal and heavenly prize for which God has called us then. So that means that there is a heavenly prize and God has called us to take a hold of it. That's why we live. That's why we follow. And he says, then he says, verse 15, so let those of us who are spiritually mature and full grown have this mind and hold this conviction that if any respect you have a different attitude of mind, God will make clear to to you also. That means that, in other words, all of us who are spiritual, spiritually mature should have this conviction, should understand this and understand that the reason we live is the pursuit of that for which Christ has taken a hold of me. He said, that's why we live. And, you know, we are living in an age and some people, it's about money. You know, they preach, their preaching is about money. Other people, it's all about politics and, and, and it becomes so much about money or it becomes so much about politics that, that the real purpose of God gets lost in the shadows. Beloved, let it not be so with you and me, but let us pursue and take a hold of that for which Christ has taken a hold of us. Because you see, we... Some of us, we came from nowhere. Others of us, we had advantages. But all of us have this one thing. We have been apprehended by Jesus so that we may take a hold of him. Hallelujah. So that is the kind of people God calls to the ministry. People who count everything as worth nothing so that they may take a hold of Jesus and follow him. And so... Beloved, that is the way to live. That is the way to follow. Let us follow Jesus with all our hearts. And remember that we have been bought with a price. We have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. And those of us, when we are called by God to serve him, nothing else holds any value anymore except to follow Jesus and to be like him. Let me pray for you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Pray for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for your hand upon our lives. Use us mightily for our glory. Father, I consecrate myself to you that I may be used by you, that you may have your hand upon me. Father, use us mightily for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, God bless you. I'll see you again tomorrow. And tomorrow we're going to talk about the reason for the fivefold ministry gifts. You know, there's a purpose. So we're going to talk about why God gave the fivefold ministry gifts to the church. We're going to start talking about that. Then we'll go into the fivefold ministry gifts themselves. So God bless you. If you have any questions, anything, just feel 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 free to write to me and and we will be in touch. God bless you.